Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and uh, we are also here on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. That's our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream at those times at richarddugan.com. We are also podcasting these programs at... SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many, many other locations as well. We're on YouTube where you can watch these videos. We hope that you will. And also subscribe uh, or at the very least uh, click the notification so that when a new conversation is posted, uh, you will uh, have access to that and be able to listen to it and share it with others as well. And I hope you will, especially with this program today. It's very interesting. And I think you're going to find it not only uh, interesting, uh, it's heartwarming as well. It's tragic. Uh, and and there's uh, you couldn't you could not have written a movie uh, with all of the elements in this one. Uh, and we're going to talk about that with our very special guest. But uh, I want to remind you also to spend some time going within and listening to that still small voice during the decade of perfect vision. Just go into that quiet, still, calm, peaceful place. We'll find out about how what what role that played in our guest's uh, life as well as her life was literally turned upside down. And also a reminder that if you'd like to support the work we're doing, we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. With all of that being said, we have a very special guest here. She's a local Santa Barbara, and she tells a story. Uh, she refers to this uh, particular work as her memoir. It is a true story. Uh, I actually was living here in Santa Barbara during the time of this particular event, and it was sort of a culmination of events as well. Kim Canton is my guest. Her book is Where Yellow Flowers Bloom. We'll find out about uh, the aspect of the title, which I find fascinating. It, again, is a true story of hope through unimaginable loss. And uh, Kim, I want to, first of all, thank you for thank you for joining us here on the program and sharing what is, I'm sure, even to this day, uh, still not an easy conversation to have with, with people. Good morning, Richard. Yeah, you're right. It's... Uh... It's still not an, an easy conversation to have, um, but thank you for having me here. Sure. Um, now, I'm, I'm curious. We're going to go back a little bit. I'm going to just give a very brief uh, 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 synopsis mm -hmm. of what uh, transpired. On the 10th of December of uh, 2017, there was a fire uh, that started what I thought was way off to the east. Not going to bother us in the least. We're good. And yet uh, we have a gentleman by the name of Mike Williams. He is our Mike in the morning host every uh, Monday through Friday here on AM 1290 and um, FM 96.9. And uh, he shared with me shortly after the fire started, he says, oh, no, it's coming all the way. Uh, the, 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 the scenario is just too ripe, if you will. Uh, and that's exactly what it did. It came all the way across the mountain range. Uh, uh, Ohio was affected and many other communities and uh, it, it burned all the way to the uh, burn scars of um, what was then the, the Zaka fire. There was another one as well. I can't recall the name of it anyway. And um, it just burned everything to the ground for, for a week or two, maybe more, but that wasn't the significant aspect of this. It was 
Then the torrential rains, if you want to call it that, a massive, massive downpour that was actually predicted several days earlier. And in that downpour, it generated a mudslide above the mountains of Montecito and and uh, other parts uh, in that area, Carpinteria, I think, I don't know if, if Summerland was hit at all. But it was it was so devastating to the extent that we lost 23 lives. And of those lives, two of them were your husband and your son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, certainly I'm going to have you tell the story about uh, how that all transpired that early morning. And again, as I said before, uh, I remember that day, the 9th of January 2018, uh, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I couldn't believe what I was seeing as far as the video. And I mean, it was just astounding that more people didn't lose their lives. I mean, that mm-hmm. that that's, I would have to say, rather miraculous. In your case, we're talking about 3.30. Uh, I don't remember what day it was, but it was the 9th of January. And uh, obviously everybody's sleeping, but everybody's a little bit what on edge knowing that there's the potential for something pretty catastrophic to happen. And that's exactly what happened. Give us your rendition from the time you were awakened by something rather loud. Sure. So it was, I think probably around three fifteen, three thirty in the morning. And my husband and I were awoken by heavy rain and we had the car staged outside Um ready to go. We had sandbags in case, and we had a hotel reservation. If we, if, if it got heavy, we were just staged just to get out of, get out and be safe. And so we got up, my husband went to look on the house around the house and we told the kids, get your clothes on, we're going. And, um, tragically, um, we didn't make it out in time. Um, when what we didn't know was, um, part of the mountain, um, came down and it was coming down with boulders and hundred year old trees and debris, almost like a slip and slide. And um, the, there was a creek across the lane from us and a couple houses and there was a curve in the creek and it, it, it didn't make that uh, because the creek and the underpass got all blocked up with massive car sized boulders. And so mm-hmm. a third, a neighbor saw a 30 foot plume of mud debris and, and car sized boulders plume up to the sky and crash down on our home and our neighbor's home. Um, and it crashed down on my home with my family in it. Um, and, um, my husband may have seen it coming cause he opened the front door. He's like, get out now. And then as soon as he opened the front door, he slammed it, he says, get back back door now. And he just blew past me in the living room. And I went to grab the dog's leash um, I had no idea what was coming. I had no idea. And the kids were in their rooms trying to get their clothes on. And then all of a sudden the mud was at my waist and pretty soon I, I couldn't stand up and I was under the mud. And then, um, I woke, um, on a debris pile about two football fields away. I was wrapped in electrical wires, very injured in an intersection. Wow. And you have no recollection uh, from the moment you went under until you were on that debris pile. No, I remember being under. I remember being under and being hit by everything. Pieces of furniture, granite, probably bricks. Um, And I remember I I was goofy. I opened my eyes and I was 
talking to God. And I said, if you want me to die right now, I will, but show me the light. And so I opened my eyes, but I opened my eyes under in the mud and debris. So what, what that was doing is um, scratching on my cornea. Um, and then I must've probably got a traumatic brain injury. Like I got hit in the head. And then I, I, I remember taking my last breath and it was mud, not air. It was like, and it was just mud filling me up. And mm. I just thought at that point I was done. And uh, how long was it before someone came along and got you out of that tangle or did you get yourself out? Uh, I, I don't really know, um, but I would guess, here's my guess. The mudslide hit, I think about 345, maybe it was traveling at 30 miles an hour. I think, um, I think because it was dark when I still, when I, when I kind of came to on the debris pile and my head was facing down and my feet were facing up on the debris pile, probably a 30 to 40 degree angle, which probably saved my life. It probably drained my lungs. Um, I think I was there a couple hours and, and maybe by like, I know I was in the hospital at eight 30 in the morning. So mm. maybe they got me at seven or six 30. So I think I was there unconscious for a while. And then I, then I came to, mm -hmm, and then I just yelled and yelled and no one was there. And it was like Armageddon in a war zone. And so I just kind of tried to calm myself, you know, when you were, as you've described it, talking to God, mm -hmm. um, what what else was going through your mind in that at that time uh, in terms of your faith? Uh, it, because I know that there are those who will say, "How could God let this happen?" Mm -hmm. uh, and yet you're turning to him, saying, "Wait a minute! Uh, look, you want me out? I'll I'll go. Just show me the light. You know, just." Tell me which way to go. Uh, what about your your faith before and then after uh, this this horrific event took place? Hmm. Good question. Um, I always was a person of faith um, and believed in a higher power. I'm Christian, and I was a Sunday school teacher at the church up the street from us in Montecito for the middle schoolers, and so I've always, I've always had a, a faith um, for sure. And I think that's what saved me is when I, when I, before the mud was like at my waist, I remember going, you know, I said, I'm going to die tonight. Uh, Cause it was just so un astonishing what was going on, seeing furniture from different parts of my house floating toward me. Right. Um, and I just said, Jesus save me. And um, so I went to my faith. Interesting in the, in the moment where I thought I was going to die, I went straight to my faith and, um, and then I just surrendered and I'm a type A person. So for me to surrender is a big deal. It's not common. <laughs> and I think that saved my life to ragdoll. You know, it's kind of like drunks in a car accident. Sometimes mm -hmm. they make it out. Okay. Cause they're so limber. Mm -hmm. I think, I think I didn't fight anything. And so my body, I think found passive least resistance as I flowed out. So how do I feel about my faith now? I, you know, that was a very complex, right? Cause I, cause I knew I was this profound gratefulness that I had and my daughter had survived the unimaginable. And when you look at the car sized boulders, a thousand of them on my property and the live electrical wires and everything that could have killed me or my daughter, um, 
I realized it was a true miracle that we were alive. Absolutely. She had a pocket of air buried alive in front of her face, not her kneecap, not her lower back, but the pocket of air was by her face and it had a little hole the size of a straw out to the outside that enabled her to live. So my, in the hospital, when I, when I was finding out everything that had happened, I was profoundly, profoundly grateful that my life had been spared mm. and my daughter's. And I was tragically sad my husband's wasn't. Um, but I don't think he did it. Um, yeah, so I still have a strong faith. I think I'm just grateful for, there's a reason, I think there's no coincidences in life and there's a reason maybe Dave and Jack graduated. They maybe did what they needed to do on earth and they're in pure joy and maybe there's more for my daughter and I to do. Kim Canton is my guest. Where Yellow Flowers Bloom is the book we're talking about, the story, the true story, uh, uh, in 2018, January. And uh, we're going to continue that conversation here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is really a pleasure. I really do appreciate the fact that uh, you, uh, Kim Canton, have joined us here on the program to share this uh, uh, true story Um there's a part of me that just I, I cannot see this being made into a movie only because uh, it's just I don't know. It's just too much. Uh, it's almost <laughs> too much for anyone to bear. And I still uh, am astounded not only by the Thomas fire that that uh, perpetuated or sort of set the wheels in motion in that regard, let alone the, the debris flow that took place on that uh, early morning. Uh, January 9th of uh, 2018. Uh, now, uh, you and I, we have now lived through a rather tumultuous, uh, rain-soaked uh, five or six <laughs> months since November oh, of 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet, as far as I know, I have not heard of any major mudslides and homes being taken out and so forth, either because it hasn't made the news or because it didn't happen. I know that there were those who did have some damage. I I, I recognize that all over California, let alone mm-hmm. here uh, on the South Coast. Um, you chose to stay that night. You and your family chose to stay in the house that night. What rather than leaving? What perpetuated the decision to stay? Following the directions of aware and beware. So we had evacuated, I think, three or four times during the Thomas fire. And when that happened, they set up a nice system that um, on your phone, you could sign up called aware and beware, and it would go to your phone and it would go to your email. And so um, we had followed the advice during that. We had evacuated. We went down to Thousand Oaks. And and so, you know, we knew some rain was coming. We got the sandbags at the house. My husband had cleared out the French drain and the back line to make sure water could flow smoothly. And we were watching what the advisory said and, and we were not in the mandatory evacuation. And so we just said, you know, okay, you know, let's just keep uh, understanding, you know, what the situation is and, um, I did make a hotel room reservation and I told my husband, Hey, if it gets heavy, let's just have the car staged and get out of Dodge. And that was our plan. So, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, my learning is, um, don't rely on that stuff so much. You know, if there's any, any, any chance yeah, close by in the vicinity and the horizon, get out of Dodge. 
Well, I know that uh, the program Community Alert that's been on this station uh, for 16, 15, 16 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> uh, community Alert, not mm-hmm. if, but when disaster mm-hmm. strikes. Mm-hmm. And obviously, prepare aware, uh, aware and prepare. Uh, definitely, they tell you, and this is this is a message that um, really rings home for my wife and I because the only the only time in the seventeen years we have lived up on San Marcos Pass, the one fifty four at the summit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we've been through, as you know, numerous fires. I mean, ten or fifteen. Mm-hmm. But only one, and it just so happens, it was the 2017 Whittier fire. And yet we had gone through Zaka and T and Jesusita and the list goes on, never having to be evacuated until until the summer of 2017. Mm. And they were always telling us, especially on Community Alert, but other places, even if you don't get the word, if you feel, tell me about your feelings that that not only maternal instinct, but also just as an individual, that intuition, uh, that still small voice screaming, maybe get out, get out now kind of thing. Didn't uh, have it. I, I say didn't again. Have it. I didn't have that. You didn't have that. My, my husband and I, we had pretty big jobs and we were both working in our offices that day and we we're doing our work stuff and, um, you know, watching the news and watching the wear and beware and went and got sandbags. But um, if I had had any, any sense of what was going to happen, mm-hmm. we would have been in Paris. We would have ran as far as we could away. And yet you said something really, really important. And that is that obviously the good Lord had something else in mind for you and your daughter. And that, and I I think it's beautiful that you can look at uh, your husband and son and say, Oh, they graduated. They finished the work that they were doing. My father, I just lost him uh, the Mm. the beginning of March of this year. My eldest sister a year ago at the end Mm. of March and they graduated they were finished mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh and so forth that i would take it that is not a perspective the whole graduation thing that you grasped onto right away that that must have taken <laughs> some time to get to yeah sure i mean um i was in desperate grief and then through writing the book it kind of came to more peaceful adaptation or integration it's not acceptance because acceptance implies it's okay. And it's still not okay. They're gone. But mm-hmm. um, I had a priest um, who I think in, in maybe Jack's or Dave's services, he talked on that, that they graduated, that they're in pure joy. And that really was helpful framing for me um, because I think they, they are they're in pure joy and certainly miss them every single day. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and of course, uh, they were uh, quite literally ripped from your life very fast. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I still remember seeing the one video, uh, a gentleman apparently was out in the street and he pointed his camera and light up the, up the road from where he was. And you could see the wave coming 
And he mm-hmm. said, move, move, move. I mean, that's that all was I Marco. heard him say. That was, yeah, that's Marco Farrell. Yeah, yeah. he saw it coming. He's trying to help people. Wow. Just incredible uh, what you and, and other folks who did survive uh, have, have been through. Not only the event itself, but then the process uh, of trying to figure out, okay, now what? I've got mm-hmm. nothing. My, I have mm-hmm. my daughter, at least. Uh, mm-hmm. But I have I have nothing. There's There's nothing in the spot where we were, you know, a scant 24 hours ago. Now what? Yeah. When did you begin that, that journey, not only mentally, but physically in terms of saying, okay, uh, now I got to figure out what to do next because I can't, I can't stay where I'm at. That kind of thing. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that process for you. Sure. Well, Mine was complicated and complex because there were so many variables. One is I was very injured and I was in the hospital over three weeks. I couldn't move. I had to learn how to walk again and I had multiple surgeries. So um, I was physically very injured. My daughter was in a different hospital. Um, So that was complex. I was in shock and disbelief. um, Hearing that half my family's gone and Jack was just missing so I think I was just shock and disbelief at the beginning. Um, but I was given, you know, sedatives and painkiller because of my, my injuries. So I wasn't, and I was just so injured and I had been hit in the head. And, um, so I think I wasn't, I was just trying to like get my bearings a little. Um, mm-hmm. and then, and then, you know, I went into a rental home because I didn't have anything. And then I wanted to stabilize for my daughter. And then, you know, so I think all of my grief and my process was very much delayed. It was very much compartmentalized because I had so much to do. Stabilize for my daughter, job number one, right? I wanted to be her mother and let her know I am her mother and, and I'm going to still take care of her. Mm-hmm. She was very frightened. And um, job number two, look for Jack. It's time sensitive, could be hauled away, body decaying, time sensitive. Um, and then going through the grief process with my husband, my dog, everything I lost. So it was extended, it was um, complicated. And then through COVID, when I started writing the book, um, that was really the start, I think, of my cathartic process from the desperate grief to the reflective process and getting to more peaceful integration. Hmm. Where yellow flowers bloom title of the book. It is a true story. As a matter of fact, it's a true story of hope through unimaginable loss. Kim Canton is my guest. Kim Canton.com. By the way, that is K I M C A N tin.com we certainly hope that you will avail yourselves go there check out the book it's available all over the place uh locally uh there are book we still have bookstores ladies and gentlemen they're local they're not uh big chains uh there's one in particular it's called chaucer's uh, uh it's a beautiful place there in what we uh refer to as uh i believe it's loretta plaza uh and uh, we encourage you to uh make a trip out there get a copy uh, like i said it's also available on amazon and you are listening to tell me your story 
I'm Richard Dewey, your host, and uh, Kim Canton is my guest. Again, the book is entitled Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, Where Yellow Flowers, 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 Flowers Bloom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it It is, it is uh, uh, something that uh, happened not just to you, but it happened to a, 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 a community. We were actually, we, you and I, and the rest of us here on this side of Montecito, we were cut off from the rest of the world for quite a number of days or or a week or more, if I'm not mistaken, while they not only did their search, uh, but also did uh, clearing of the debris, getting the freeway open and so forth. Um, how how long was it after the event, the debris flow, that that you found out about your husband? And then how long after that was it that you found out about your son? Uh, if I recall right, um, I very first, the next morning, I think first thing I was told about um, my dog, and I think what I found out later is they said that was a dress rehearsal because they knew more bad news may be coming and they wanted to know who I wanted in the room, my priest, the sister from the church, my parents. And then I think it was the day after that in the morning that they told me about Dave. He had been found, I think, about 8.30 that morning. But I think they wanted to go through the process of like proper identification. Mm-hmm. And um, and I had been in surgery. And then um, Jack was just missing. So they'd come in and say, where do you think he was in the house? Because they're trying to logically fi- figure it out. Did they have to clear out the, where the pool was? Could he have been in there? Which became like quicksand. Um, so he was just... They were searching just because I think it took them a while to find the last victim, a woman, maybe Aviola. She was a week or so after. Like it mm. just, there was, it was a 30 square mile area of um, debris. And you learned an awful lot about search and rescue and, and, and all that is entailed in a process uh, <laughs> that they went through. Uh-huh. Uh, it took me 10 years to learn this process only because um I had no clue as to this this process or who to call. When we moved here in 2006, in mm-hmm. June, I looked to the north and I saw this this tiny, tiny little puff of smoke. Mm-hmm. And I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, oh, my God, where are we? Because I had no points of reference at that time. Mm-hmm. Of course, first of all, my wife, she looks out there. Hey, that is that is. I don't know if it's hundreds of miles away, but it's a long, dis- I think it was up, uh, I think it was a fire up by uh, 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 Kuyama, I believe it was. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, uh-huh. um, and of course, as the years go by and I experience one fire after another uh, and the Zaka fire the following year was really unbelievable. It took a month and, you know, and again, I saw that tiny little flicker of light way off into the distance, same direction as that first plume that I saw in 20, 2006. And that was on a Sunday that I saw that by the following Sunday, the flames had jumped multiple ridges and was now we now we went from a balcony view of the Zaka to mm. almost a front row seat. Mm, scary. But, but we were. Yeah. But we were not evacuated. So I knew who to call. I knew what to do after, you know, five or six years. And of course, I I, I met Mike Williams, who is a part of the old San Marcos uh, uh, volunteer fire department and, and uh, aware and prepare and. And Wildland Residents Association, and I'm connected to all of these different people within search and rescue, within the first responders. You did you have other than your 
education through aware and prepare. Uh, were you tied into that network uh, in that respect? You had no clue. As no to- clue. I do. I do know my my. I had a lovely late, uh, neighbor next door, and I remember her telling me with the fire. She goes, Kim, because she had lived there for thirty years, mm-hmm. and she said fires can move really, really fast. Like you've got to take them really seriously. And that even was an education for me. I just, I didn't have exposure or experience to any of this stuff before. So I just, I didn't have the understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I will tell you how important I think it is for us as individuals, let alone as a community to set up a network, um, you know, before these events happen. Uh, and yeah, you can set up a plan, but because you don't know how these events are going to affect your plan, you know, the old saying about how uh, we make plans and God laughs, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. But by the same token, there's nothing wrong with making a plan, you know? Yeah. He's going to laugh, but don't worry about it. You know, because <laughs> he still loves you. It's smart, right? It's smart. It is. It <laughs> is. And, and, uh, so you've, how long had you lived, uh, there in Montecito? Before this happened? Eight years. Only eight years. Mm-hmm. Had you heard any of the stories of some of the previous uh, events that had taken place um, no. in, in other parts of the city or county, for that matter, in terms of some of these horrific events? I heard uh, about the tea fire, I think, and that was right before we had moved into town. And mm-hmm. then someone talked about that, and they said that you could see on the hillside it was burned. Um, I think my challenge, our personal challenge, was my husband and I, you know, takes a couple incomes to live in town. And yep. we, were, we were on the rat race and working really, really hard, and we had young kids. We really wanted to be engaged parents, and so... We were busy. And so maybe we were busy. We it just kind of get all that. It, it can get away from you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're now, I would venture, you are now connected to this particular network <laughs> that we are talking well, about. I can tell you, my favorite people are the Montecito Fire Department. And I can tell you this January 9th, the five year anniversary. Um, of the tragedy where there was another evacuation warning coming for the town and heavy rain, two fire chiefs, one retired fire chief and the other, um, Kevin, who's just now retired. They both text me on a very busy day saying, are you, are you going to be okay? And if you need anything, let me know. And so I am very connected and very, I, 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 those people are, those fire, fire folks are pretty darn special. Oh, yeah. They go. They literally do go uh, where others fear to tread. Yeah, they're true heroes in this whole thing. Yeah, they are angels, to say the very least. And that's the one thing I love about first responders. They don't care what your politics is or how much you have in your bank Mm -hmm. account or what color Mm -hmm. your skin is or what belief system philosophy you adhere to. They don't. It's irrelevant. You're a Mm -hmm. human being and they're and, and they're there to save life and then property Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's the thing that i love most about the first responders including those in the medical in the medical field uh who uh you know i mean i have to admit i can only imagine what the medical community here in the santa barbara area the south coast uh we're looking at Uh, i mean covid was bad enough but prior to that this event here locally 
they were dealing with probably things they had not seen ever. Oh, I think 100, 150 people were injured, right? So yeah. we were coming in and they, they, they were, they did cottage hospitals, phenomenal, excellent medical care. And, mm-hmm. but they weren't prepared to deal with mud and these people coming in with mud. I mean, I was, they were putting shaving cream in my hair to get the clumps of mud out. They were trying to wipe me off, but where does it go? They, they tried to put my daughter on a chair in a shower to get it out. And so, um, they were just, um, hit really hard with something so unexpected. Some people weren't as recognizable and yeah, but they did an outstanding job. Yeah. The, the wonderful I've, I've been into cottage hospital, uh, once or twice, uh, mm-hmm. but um, uh, they're 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 it's great. It it really is. Um, tell me about the the process you've been going through in terms of your emotions. Certainly, grief. I get that. Mm-hmm. I get mm-hmm. that. Sadness and part of the grief over the loss, not only of your husband and your son, but also of your dog. Uh, that that pains me because I've I've laid many animals to rest over my sixty three mm-hmm. years. Um, and obviously, uh, as I said earlier, my, my father and my eldest sister, uh, in literally less than 12 months, which I thought was really very interesting that, that my father followed my sister, but Hey, it was his firstborn and he was Mm -hmm. never the same after that. That's compounded grief, right? Yeah, it really is. Let me ask you about, uh, yourself and and the emotions that you've been going through the process which i'm sure you're still going through um mm-hmm. if i may ask are you or have you been in any kind of uh uh therapy i know hospice provides it free and that type of thing <laughs> it's more the question what haven't i been in what I, haven't uh, you been okay <laughs> <laughs> um and, and and look after this happened everything changed right my and yeah. my identity changed right from from wife to widow Mm-hmm. Um, and I, one of the first things I said to my daughter was we've never been through anything like this, honey. Um, we're going to need a lot of help and we're going to need to invest in our, in our care and our, in getting through this. So we just, I really looked to what was available from hospice of Santa Barbara that does the grief training grief. You know, she got a therapist. I got a therapist. I did EMDR trauma therapy you know, which is this tapping thing that helps uh, affect yes. the nervous system from trauma mm-hmm. for PTSD. Um, I did group therapy. Cottage Hospital did a How We Heal group, which was for people involved in the mudslide. Um, and that was one of the most helpful things I did because these people got what I went through. Mm-hmm. I went to widow's group that would help me focus in on the loss of my husband and the spouse, right? Because I had they always had to think about the loss of my son and then the loss of my husband and then the loss of the dog and then the loss of my life as I knew it. So the widow's group helped con- put a container around the focus on loss of a spouse. I did Reiki therapy, which is this energy moving kind of like yes. a massage. I'm and a Reiki master. That, yeah. It, it really mm-hmm. helped me a lot more than I could have imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, uh, and, and I am doing somatic therapy, which is a um, helping to uh, reset the nervous system. And it's like a massage. So it's wonderful too. So I, you know, uh, we've in, we want to get on the other side of this and, and my husband and son would want us to 
live a life of joy and to thrive. And so, cause we would want that for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we've just invested a lot and I, yeah. and my daughter as well. Well, I tell you what, boy, what haven't you done? Is it right? That's a good statement to make. What haven't you done? Um, but you, you obviously acknowledge uh, now as well as back then when it for all started, uh, this was not going to get fixed, quote unquote, overnight. This was going to be a long process. And you're still in that five years later. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think you'll be in five years? How do you think that? that no idea. I know, just want to be present in the moment in the and moment. Uh, be grateful for what I have uh, right now and whatever unfolds and folds. So I don't know. Where Yellow Flowers Bloom is the title of the book. We're talking with Kim Canton and you, my friends, are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is really a pleasure to have Kim Canton with us. Uh, are you living in Santa Barbara, Montecito? What, where, where are you residing these days? In Santa Barbara. You know, my daughter doesn't want to be in Montecito. I love Montecito. Um, it feels like home to me, but she feels safer a little bit away from there, which yeah. I understand. Uh, I I remember when we were first getting ready to move here in 2006, I wanted to be down by the beach. Mm. I didn't know how expensive that would be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we found and then, place... But you get a train track. <laughs> exactly. Know, exactly. You get a train area. Uh, by the way, I love the, uh, uh, yeah, right. Exactly. I, I, but I actually love the train. I, I love taking the train uh, anywhere. I don't care where it's going. Um, <clears throat> as long as it doesn't derail, please. But um I have I have loved living here maybe because of these different events that happen because I know the network because I know the people mm-hmm. and obviously you are now as I said earlier you're connected uh, you know into that uh first responder network how has the community uh responded not not only to you and your daughter but to the other, would you say 150 other people who were also injured and have had taken to the hospital, as well as those who weren't, who survived and who have, I guess, in the last five years, many people have rebuilt there in Montecito. So how have I been in touch with them? Have you saying? have you been in touch with them? And and then again, sure. I mean, the, look, I, I was out searching yeah. for, for three years yeah, and I, I got to meet everyone. We Montecito used to have hedges and and um, people like their privacy and, and what happened mm-hmm. through this is the hedges went away and um, fences went down and we all met one another and wanted to care for one another. So um, I've gotten to know so many fabulous people and I'm glad I know them. And um, we all support one another. You know, one of the survivors said she moved back to Montecito because people get her there right? They get her, her grief. Mm. And um, it's a support. It's that the town is, there's a special sort of compassion that's in Montecito and in Santa Barbara. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think I've only been to Montecito once or twice, and it was to uh, pick up some uh, firewood from a, a friend of mine uh, oh. out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, obviously it is considered to be a rather affluent uh or wealthy part of the south coast mm-hmm. uh you know i don't know how true that is because well i don't live there so mm-hmm. <laughs> i think that's a little sure but everyone lives there yeah. you know we we had a fixer upper because that's what we could afford and we were fixing it up 
my husband would paint and paint does a lot to a house. Um, mm. So um, it's not all massive estates. It's right. not, we were a, right. you know, normal house, no yeah. gate. Let me ask you uh, if I may, uh, from a logistical standpoint, what has happened to the property that you own? Obviously the house was gone. It's, mm-hmm. it's, there's no more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll talk about another group too, that, that also just sprang up after this event happened. Uh, but what has happened to quote unquote, the lot that you lived on? Well, I still own it. I, as a gift, I put hedges up, I've tidied it up. I get it weed whacked um, when it needs it. And, um, I'm listening to my heart of when I'm ready to do something with it. A lot of people have offered to buy it and they're increasing in value tremendously um it was a the proximity to upper village and lower village where you could walk everywhere and walk to school the elementary school and walk to the church up the street and hear the church bells was wonderful but i'm not ready yet and um Mm. i'm just gonna listen to my heart when i'm ready you know to do whatever right now so it's essentially a um if you will a vacant lot there's no structure Mm -hmm. on it and yet you said you've got some hedges up uh, as Mm -hmm. well and boulders. Yeah. I've got I've got about a thousand boulders. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're still there. You left sure, them they're there. Tucked, well, yeah, they're tucked in a corner. You know, mm-hmm. at some point, you know, I'll probably find they're pretty valuable. And boulders, carside boulders, worth a lot of money. So I'll figure that one out at some yeah. point. You know what I do with it. I'm curious too. You it because we don't we usually don't get into someone else's story. Uh, mm-hmm. It's usually up to them to tell their story. Um, if I may ask, how is your daughter doing these days? I would assume she's been doing all of the other therapeutic uh, uh, things that you've been doing to to try to move forward. Uh, and and again, as you, you I love the word you use. We use it on this program all the time and thrive. Yeah, she's the strongest. She's the strongest person I know. Um, and she's doing it. Mm-hmm. She's investing in her healing and she's university student and um she's navigating the grief she's she's doing the human experience and um i'm so proud of her there's no one i love more Mm. that's wonderful well folks i haven't forgotten and i will uh, address it here in just a moment but uh, we're talking with kim canton her book memoir if you will of this incredible unbelievable situation where yellow flowers bloom and you're listening to tell me your story i'm richard dugan your host with kim canton and uh, her book where yellow flowers bloom uh and when i read the title i'm going okay um we've got yellow flowers all over the place right now kim i mean Mm -hmm. with all the rains that we've had they're everywhere along with the lupin matter of fact i've been trimming the weeds up on uh, the property where we rent and my wife has asked me if I can, if I can, uh, to trim the weeds around the lupin. So uh, there's this very large area, uh, big circular area just off on this hillside under an oak tree. And I said, mm-hmm. OK, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tra- uh, knock the weeds down around this big circle and I'll leave the lupin until they die. And then I'll trim the rest of the stuff down. Because it's just so beautiful. I bet there are yellow flowers and there are orange poppies. And Mm -hmm. um, I think there's another one hasn't come out yet called the Sticky Monkey. I don't know how it got that name. But anyway, 
uh, all kinds of beautiful things. But in this case, we're talking about yellow flowers and where yellow flowers bloom. Let's talk a little bit about that because uh, I think that's really significant, including a comment that was made to you about those yellow flowers and your response to it. So tell us how this, this title uh, was born, if you will. Sure. So um, I'll credit my daughter for it. Um, she was, we were talking about it and, and she knew everything that had transpired. And, and if you think of the, the debris and the mud that, that ended up in debris piles, it included the toxins from everyone's home as the homes were being obliterated, the, the paint in the garage, the yeah. pesticides, the insulation, the whatever. So what the university professor said was that soil was toxic soup. Um, you know, people who had ingested it, you know, some people even got poison ivy in their, in their GI tract. I mean, it's Ooh. just unbelievable. They got very sick staff and, um, and all the really bad bacteria. And so she's like, it's arsenic and nothing should grow there. And on the pile that we found, what we believe are some of Jack's remains, it was graced with beautiful yellow flowers. And um, some students working with the professor um, were really kind and clipped some of these beautiful yellow flowers and they brought them to my house in a little vase. And they said, life found a way, you know, and they had recovered some bone. And I said, uh, no love found a way. That would have been a good title too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, yellow flowers bloom. My daughter helped me with, that's really a good metaphor, right? It's a metaphor for all of us to look, look for the good when maybe there shouldn't be any. Yeah. Maybe you'll see it. Right. Look for the good. So let me ask you, what have you seen of the good? I know mm. we've talked a lot about some of it already, but, you know, tell us what uh, I know that you still have some angst, some frustration and so forth and so on about the the process that went on, um, not only before, but also after. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, OK, we could stay there. And ruin our health, because that's what we would do. We would be ruining our health by hanging uh -huh, on to all of those uh -huh, things. Uh -huh. uh, and when working at the Christian radio station, they were always looking for the devil. And I, I used to say, you know, if you're looking for the devil under every rock, you're going to find him. But if you're looking for God, you're looking for the good under every rock. Guess what? You're going to find it. What uh -huh. have you found? I, I found I'm more, the gifts I think I've gotten are I'm more present in the moment. I now have such a strong comparator of bad and sadness and grief and, and um, the lowest of the lows that now, in contrast, things that I might have thought, oh, that's lovely, are just absolutely lovely. Mm. So I have, because of the contrast, some of the simple things in life bring me tremendous joy. If it's rubbing my puppy's tummy because he wants it rubbed before he goes to bed, right? There's joy in that. Whereas before I just do it, you know, okay, I'll rub your tummy, go to bed. Now there's like, you know what? He's wanting some connection and there's joy in that. And um, just the simple things. When my roses in the spring start to bloom, there's joy in that. Um, mm. Reconnecting with friends and being with people that I enjoy, there's joy in that. So it's being more present in the moment and that's a gift, right? I think it also can uh, you can also incorporate the uh, the word you used earlier to thrive. Mm -hmm. That's what my I, look. If the tables were turned, and my daughter and I were in heaven, and Dave and Jack were 
here. Uh, we loved each other so much. I just want, I would want them to thrive, whatever that looked like, mm. whatever that looked like, you know, I'd want them to be happy. Well, I am, uh, first of all, uh, very grateful for you sharing your story. As I said earlier, I know that it doesn't necessarily get easier as the right. more you share it. But one of the things I do know, because this program for me is <laughs> my therapy. Mm -hmm. So I know that you're talking about this is therapeutic for you as well. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's part of my healing. Yeah. So thank you. I want to ask you three final questions that I ask mm -hmm. all of my guests. Uh, mm -hmm. Before I do that, though, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. To help make your dreams come true, we are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. We're here on Mondays at 1 a.m. and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. That's our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. And uh, we are also uh, podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other uh, locations, uh, many other places on the net. And... Um, we're also on YouTube. That's right. You can watch these interviews. Uh, and speaking of watching, I've got to do a side here. Kim, what is the picture behind you? It is a Matt Draper picture of um, the mother of a um, whale. Um, I have in the other room, I have the image of the baby humpback. And that's this is called Fluke. Uh, it's taken in New Zealand by Matt Draper. And it's the mom. Mm. I'm always curious about the background of of uh, what's why why a picture is in the frame as opposed to and sometimes the book is in the frame and this and that and the other. Mm -hmm. It's always intriguing to me in that regard. So uh, I'm, that's why I asked um, to finish up my remarks. Uh, also, if you'd like to uh, pro help support this program, we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And if uh, when you go to uh, uh, send uh, support to us, they'll ask you for an email address to whom to send that to. And it is Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's Richard at RichardDugan.com. We also want you to spend time. And uh, Kim, I'm sure you've spent an inordinate amount of time in that still, quiet, peaceful, calm place listening to, if nothing else, just the sounds around you, hopefully in nature. That's still small voice. Am I accurate in that? Mm. Not it's so much. Busy, it's been a busy five <laughs> years. I mean, when you got to re-get everything in your house, if you don't have a needle and thread, you don't have a dish, you don't have dresser drawers, you don't have a passport, you don't have ID. Uh, it's been a pretty busy five years. Yeah. Well, we uh, are, are so grateful for your giving us uh, so much time. Uh, so uh, we'll get to those three final questions. And uh, again, we thank you so much for sharing with us here on the program and giving us so much time. Uh, the first of those three questions is, who is Kim Canton? Hmm. 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 Um, I'm a person who wants to um, appreciate life for what it has to offer and be a good mommy to my daughter. What is, and you may actually have two answers to this question, pre and post, 
but what is your life's purpose? Well, pre, maybe it was um, taking care of my family. We really like to volunteer. I really like um, giving back in the community. Um, did a lot of volunteering. Um, and I think now, I think maybe through this book and through speaking, if I can help others going through a really hard, dark time, maybe that's my life purpose is to let them know you, if you work at it, strive to get on the other side of it. You're still going to, you're still going to miss your loved ones, but um, try to get on the other side of it. Mm. And this one also may have two answers pre and post. Mm -hmm. What was your best day? There's two when my children were born. Again, Kim Canton, kimcanton.com. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And I hope that uh, people will uh, avail themselves of connecting with you through your website uh, and, um, and can get the support that they need, whether it be through you or um, there are a myriad of organizations. And the thing I love about hospice, for example, uh, here in Santa Barbara, Hospice of Santa Barbara. Uh, if I am correct, it, there is no charge for the counseling. Right, they, right. It's a really provide. tremendous service, yeah. right, to help people during the dark times. I was even talking with my therapist, a good friend of mine as well, that I've known uh, since I moved here. And uh, we were chatting away about how, well, geez, should I should I talk to the folks at hospice? Or, I mean, my radio program, I'm talking about this all the time with my sister and my father and my mother and blah, 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 have been for 40 plus years doing these these kinds of interviews. Do you really think that I, I need therapy or do, should I just continue down the road? And if I have questions, I can give you a call. He says, yeah, the latter. If you have questions, you can always give me a call. But yeah, you're you're doing fine. You know, yeah, you're still going through it. And he'll he'll acknowledge that. And I think that we are always. It's just that it it kind of I don't want to say it necessarily gets easier as the days roll by and you get further and further away from those traumatic events. Because, you know, a passing of a, a parent or a, si a sibling is uh, pretty traumatic, too. Uh, but, um, you know, I mean, what you've been through. Wow. I mean, you you've you're grieving the loss of a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um and you've made it through the other side, even though you're still dealing with and you're you're thriving. Am I accurate in that? You're now thriving. Well, you got to give time, time, mm -hmm. right? Give time, time. Okay. Um, I'm working toward that. I don't know if I'm totally there yet, but I'm that's my that's my goal destination. Absolutely. Right? Well, our destination is to wrap up this program. Kim, thank you again for joining us. Thank on you. The thank you, Richard. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol, Jeanette, I am listening, and Dad, be happy. <laughs>